Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Now it feels like we're back. Off season is over. Got the wedding done. I do feel like something is missing, though. Yeah, it feels different. And I feel like it's going to feel like that for a couple weeks. At least. We should have known that Evan would run away at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Literally to the other side of the world. Yeah, it took one day. Twenty. I have no idea how they had the energy to do that. Just immediately after my wedding, the next day, fly to Italy for theirs. I mean, they might not have. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Could just be starting a whole new life somewhere. That that would be Evan's Irish exit from this podcast. Not do a whole farewell tour, not t- even tell us, just stop showing up. Yeah. I live in Italy now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. We couldn't beat that. Folks, we're back. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Now married and now ready to focus on everything that's happened in hockey. Mike Babcock's not a coach anymore now that I'm back. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, the upcoming NHL season, training camp. We'll cover the prospects tournament and so much more. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. Do you have fun, man? Oh, it was great. That was one of the best weddings I've ever been to. That was awesome. That means. Got to learn a whole bunch of new traditions. You did, yeah. What I found out is a lot of the previous weddings I have been to really underdo it and are uh, way more boring by the standards. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that means to me, first of all, that you had fun and how much what you just said will mean to my mother. So I'll pass yeah. that along. Oh, man, that was an absolute party. It was great. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Today we are covering a ton. The most exciting part of this episode isn't going to be what we're going to talk about with Mike Babcock. It's not going to be you know anything about the prospect tournament or training camp or anything else. Derek Lalone, that is the surprise guest, head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Derek Lalone, joined us for an interview. We recorded it last week. Uh, really insightful, awesome of, of Derek to get you know, us into his schedule and loan us his time at such a busy time of year. Really looking forward for you uh, to hear that. We're also going to talk about the prospect tournament, the upcoming training camp, the PWHL had their draft, which is an exciting step, and of course the Mike Babcock saga. And we're going to give you some show updates. Before we jump into that, though, I do want to let you know that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, the fifth iteration of it, this is our third year doing it in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, is on Saturday, November 4th against the Boston Bruins. So your ticket to Winged Wheel Podcast Night gets you not only a ticket to the game in Winged Wheel Podcast specific sections with a special WWP discount, it also gives you a special co-branded Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast beanie. So it has both of our logos embroidered onto it. You also get access to a pregame live recording of the Winged Wheel podcast featuring Ken Daniels and some other special guests are going to make an appearance. We're we're working on that part and we don't want to spoil it too early. There's going to be merch, giveaways, prizes, meet and greet, time for you to come up to us. Obviously, you're going to want to talk to Ken and the other special guests. Uh, You'll want Evan to sign your stuff. And if you're so inclined to talk to me and Brad as well, I don't think that'll be a long line. So it is a fantastic time, and most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from each ticket sold not only gets you access to the event, not only gets you access to the game, and gets you the free beanie and everything else, a portion of those proceeds goes to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is an initiative we are so, so proud to support. 
So if you go to the link in the description of this episode, or if you go to fevogm.com slash event slash winged wheel podcast, again, fevogm.com slash event slash winged wheel podcast, you can buy your tickets directly from the team and you can sit in lower bowl, upper, uh, the upper bowl or gondola, which is the view that Ken and Mick have when they're calling it from their gondola view, which is a really unique view. That's where I sit every time. So we hope to see you all there. First 400 tickets get the beanie. And we are about halfway sold already, and we have only advertised this thing for one episode. So get your tickets fast. Also, this podcast is almost entirely supported by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. The benefits you get, you get access to our Winged Wheel Podcast exclusive Discord. You get access into all of our bonus episodes during the off-season, our midweek episodes, our bonus episodes, and you get access into our bonus overtime episodes. So after we take all your questions in the main show, we record an additional little bit, let loose, have fun, and you can listen to those shows. You're also automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. Should we jump right into the Newsy interview? Yeah, it's a good place to start. Derek Lalonde was, you know, the first year of him as head coach of the Detroit Red Wings was really interesting to watch and very exciting. And you got to see from a coverage perspective or a fan perspective, however you're looking in, this team changed. But I have to say, I was not prepared for how much more insight we would get just by talking to him. So it was really, really great uh, to talk to Derek. And again, thank you to the Red Wings for helping to set this up. Uh, Amazing team of people over there. And without further ado, head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Derek Lalonde. For the first time ever on the Winged Wheel podcast, welcome head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Derek Lalonde. Derek, thank you for joining us. And I should have known that you and Brad right away were going to talk about the Bills. <laughs> Bills Mafia, man. It's real again. We're in that window. We got we to gotta, we gotta get her done. So uh, I've I come to understand that it's been one heck of a summer for you. Uh, I think your family's been moving into Detroit now. You've uh, you've been going through that process. Uh, you mentioned that one of your kids is playing right now, and uh, you have the prospect tournament and training camp coming up. So, how's everything been? It's busy, but a good busy. Uh, yes, that is true. The family moved out. Uh, we spent every last second we could in Tampa. I call it the emotional tour for the family. Uh, they got every last party possible, uh, which was awesome. It's all part of it. But transition's been great. Uh, my new office, I'm sitting at home. It's the last thing. Literally, it's a makeshift uh, back. Right now, there's like boxes everywhere on this side of the office. So you got the makeshift screen in the back. But it's been awesome. Glad to have the family here. It's been a really good transition. That's great to hear. So let's jump right into it. Uh, you have this season a Red Wings team that is probably... Close and closer to a decade than not, the most NHL ready roster the Wings have seen. Uh, not only that, you have a bunch of players, Edvinson, Casper, Mazer, Johansson, and others, you know, knocking on the door. How does that change the game for you compared to your first year as head coach? That's a great question. I, I the word I've been using uh, going into the season is relevant, uh, significant relevant. We that's all you ask as a coach. I love what we've done in the off season. We've filled a lot of needs and holes, and I think we're going to be relevant. And that's all you want is to keep pushing in the right direction. Um, I also understand that there's not a single expert or a single projection out there that has us making the playoffs, and I, I'm fine with that. It's it's not 
a knock on our guys, it's it's nowhere to go in the division. Um, and we've got about it the right way. Um, watching Steve operate, he's methodical, he's patient, he's doing it the way you have to, no shortcuts. Again, when we get there, uh, we want to be there for a long term in, in a window. And he reminds me all the time, it's, it's not even the teams that are established there right now, the Torontos, the Tampas, the Bostons, the Floridas, um, Buffalo and Ottawa have just drafted higher and longer than we have. And it's a process. But I don't mind being in this division. I've been on the other end of this division. Uh, if you're going to get to the top of it, uh, that's where you got to be. Uh, I believe last year we went 16 and 10. If I'm correct in the West, uh, that's a 600 whip percentage. It's, it's a pace that you really talk about the playoffs, but that's not the reality of it. And there's no knock on the West. The Stanley Cup champion has come out of there the last two years. It's the reality of where we're at. It's it's good. We want to be in it. We're competing against the best night in and night out, and it's going to make us better. And when we get there, we're going to get there the right way with no shortcuts, and we want to stay there. Yeah, to that point, obviously with the Red Wings looking for relevancy this year, as you put it, it, it – I know this is going to be a big question, but I'm fascinated by how you're going to approach training camp and preseason this year because you got a, another big group of new players coming in, a lot of established vet, veterans with a huge prospect pool, a lot of whom will be hoping to make noise uh, at training camp. So what is your approach with such a different group of players coming into a season where you're expecting to be better to good? Yeah, I, I one, I, I think the new faces and the fresh faces are important. Uh, they push. Um, they're coming into new environments. Obviously, there's some additions there that are very exciting for what they've already done this career. But more exciting for me is they really want to be here in the worst way. And uh, that's that's real exciting for us. Really, it's not going to be a lot different than last year. And, I even frustrated the guys a little bit. You know, I talk about it being process oriented and it, and it has to be. Um, I know last year we got to a point, uh, and I re remember it well. I'm sure you guys have talked about it. We beat the New York Rangers four to one at home. It was game 57 of the season. Uh, not only were we over the playoff line, we were in the playoffs. Uh, we were tied with the Florida Panthers with three games in hand. So obviously, we made the right moves at the deadline. Totally understandable. You know, kind of my point of when we get there, we want to be there um, the right way. Uh, but that whole time, I would never talk about the playoffs. And it frustrated our guys at times. And, the, you know, kind of the word we used last year, we'll flirt with it. But it's, it's still going to be about the process. No different this year. Um, if we do the right things and if we push the right way, we're going to be significant. We're going to be relevant. And I don't see any reason why we can't push like we did last year. Um, it's part of the process. You have to get there. Uh, you have to keep pushing if you ever want to get there. We, we did a little bit last year. We got a little bit of taste of it. And we want to be there again this year. Uh, but that's up to us in the group to do it the right way from day one. And hopefully we can get to that similar situation we were last year and take an extra step. We've talked quite a bit on the show, you're right. Like that was after a start to the season and then kind of an unfortunate run of injuries around Christmas where things felt kind of low, that run at the second half was the most electric the fan base has felt where everyone, doesn't matter their perspective, was unanimous in. Like that was a taste of the playoffs 
the fan base just hasn't had in forever. And it kind of changed, I think, the mentality uh, of the fan base. Stepping aside for a second, so last season was obviously your first as head coach. Did you find any challenges uh, in getting a new team that is kind of in flux or was at the time at their stage of the rebuild to adjust their systems, uh, the dynamics in the room? And, and when do you feel like you really hit your stride together? Yeah, God, that's a good question. You guys were prepped. You guys uh, were ready for this. Um, Not just some dumb faces. <laughs> well, we are, but you know. Um, you know, we talked about some of the things. When I came in, I challenged the guys in camp with some some tough numbers we had the previous year. You know, such numbers as chances against per 60, goals against per 60, block shots, and such of those things. It was all kind of still kind of working from the net out. And what's going to be exciting going to this camp is we improved in all those areas. Um, I believe in doing our homework of late, we finished uh, 21st in goals against. We finished somewhere 20th, 19th in chances against. Block shots, we went from being the 31st team in the league to the 11th team in the league, which can be misleading in some ways because we don't have the puck a lot. But the number one team with block shots per game was the Vegas Knights, and that's an extremely talented team, and they won. So it's a perfect example of what it should look like. So I asked the guys to improve in some of those areas. We did, uh, but it wasn't good enough, obviously. And the similar message would be this camp. Uh, We're going to need to improve in those areas, keep heading in that direction to be relevant uh, where we want to be as long as we can into the season. Now, you referenced a few analytics there, which I know is becoming a much bigger segment of how, you know, coaches and front offices manage the team these days. And what I've always been curious about is how do you communicate this to the players and getting them involved in the process? Uh, I keep going back. Julian Brisois, my previous general manager in Tampa who worked under Steve Eisenman, when, first of all, when you look at analytics, our sport will never completely be taken over to analytics. It's a huge part of it. It's real. Um, it's a, it's a layer you have to have and you got to keep pushing that layer. Um, some teams are ahead of other teams. It's a big part of today's NHL and we're part of that growth and we are going, we want to be in the front, um, end of that also. But how fluid the game is, it's never going to completely, it's not a static sport. Um, but with that said, Julian Breesbaugh would, would said, it really clicked for me. He says, if they see it, they believe it. And so, of course, we're using underlying numbers at times. We use it, obviously, in baseball. It's really transformed the entire game. Um, so it is part of it. Sometimes it's the guys see it, they believe. And just those numbers we talked about, you know, we had, we were 30, 31st, almost last in the league and some pretty significant categories last last year. Goals against, chances against, D-zone time, you know, penalty kill. And some of those numbers, we will, you know, we've gotten to the teens, you know, kind of where our team was in the low 20s. So, again, I think if they see it, they believe it. And, yes, we need goals. Um, you know, I, I talked earlier in getting the interview, I know, a couple of weeks ago, and someone asked me about Alex Brinkett and some of our depth scoring um, that we hope to add to us. It's a necessity. I mean, you saw us last year. We played a lot of really good team games last year. You, the guys are doing exactly what we're asking for. We're defending the right way. We're only giving up a handful of chances, but we just we couldn't get to the back of it. You could see us in a 1-1 game, you know, finding a way to get uh, 
a loss or not two full points, maybe one point. We need those goals, but it's still, it's the same thing every year. It's a team that keeps it out of the net ultimately and swinging. And I feel fortunate that I experienced that in my previous job. Uh, we never finally got over the hump in Tampa until we learned how to keep it out of the net. And, and I think for every team uh, that is standing at the end, uh, it's there. Yes, you got to create offense. You got to have good on, uh, offensive concepts and approach. But ultimately, it comes to keeping that puck out of the net. And we made some strides last year. We're going to continue pushing in that area. Well, last year, we noticed very quickly with the Red Wings team, at least on this podcast, that the system looked different and the team looked like they bought into it pretty quickly. And obviously we saw the numbers reflect that, that the Red Wings were keeping the puck out of their uh, net way more efficiently than they were. So kind of combining the two things, how much influence does the numbers, the analytics, the whatever influence the type of system you put on the ice, whether it's a one, two, two, a one, three, one, or your D zone structure and, and those kinds of things on the ice? Yeah, I think you're you're always referencing those underlying numbers. I think the reality of it, but you know, I think you know a lot of people ask, you know, does the system come or does the system come from the personnel? Um, I do believe there's. You'll see the NHL. You guys know enough of the game. There's not a whole lot of change between teams. You know, a lot of teams look very similar in what they do. You know, some areas there's some different changes, different looks in the neutral zone, maybe some different looks in the in the, in the D zone, but it's, it's almost very similar stuff. It still comes down to playing the right way, managing your game, managing the puck. Um, you know, uh, so I, I don't think it has, they're, they're correlated, of course, but again, I think it's similar systems. Like for me, it's more habits that end up winning. Um, I mean, you look at the Santa Cup finals every year and it's almost robotic in a good way. Predictable is another word you can see. Um, I mean, the year in Tampa where we won a President's Trophy and watching Boston and St. Louis in the finals, it was as predictable. I'm not going to use the word ugly because from a coach standpoint, it was beautiful hockey, <laughs> but it was predictable hockey. And ultimately, you know, you, you kind of get there, especially when you get later into the season, especially into the playoffs. So I really think it's probably it's probably – so again, a roundabout answer to your question. Um, systems do have a little bit to do with those underlying numbers. They have a little bit to do with your personnel. But again, I really think it's the habits that uh, are the little fine line between winning and losing. So taking a step to the prospect conversation here, Simon Edvinson obviously had uh, an untimely injury to his shoulder and the, the shoulder surgery is going to change the way his offseason went. But all of that aside... What does a player like Simon Edvinson in his position have to do to break into a roster of, you know, good NHL-ready defensemen? Because there's a lot ahead of him. Keep growing. Keep growing the right way. You, know, you said yourself, the timing of that injury uh, will probably uh, hurt his opportunity a little bit to start with us. We'll give him every opportunity, like any of those young guys you had mentioned early uh, that are pushing for spots, any team trying to transition um, in their rebuild. You need that push from the bottom, and Simon's one of those guys. I just think it's his overall game, managing the game correctly. You can see the skill set. You know, to be able to skate at that size, um, his skill set at that size. What I probably didn't give enough credit for, and to get normal a little bit, he's got more of an edge to him than I gave credit for, and that's a really good sign for him. And uh, credit to Grand Rapids last year uh, when he left us 
in training camp, and then when we got him for those games at the end of the year, uh, he took a huge stride. And obviously, he's not going to have a, uh, the ideal offseason, uh, having the shoulder injury and the upper body injury and being out as long as he, I don't think he's even cleared as we speak now. Um, so that'll curtail him a little bit, but he's just got to continue those strides um, of those habits we've kind of talked about. And then one more here. The Alex Dabrinkit trade was uh, really cool for Red Wings fans. It was the biggest trade, I think, since we've started this show, uh, just with that like, kind of premier goal-scoring player wanting to come to Detroit. How much does the head coach factor into that process? Did you talk to Alex? Did you... No, I get involved after. Um, again, that's Steve. That's management. Um, there's a there's a fine line between uh, manager and coach. I think you need that layer. Uh, managers manage, coaches coach, players play. Uh, that's the way Steve operates, and that's why I love it. Uh, you might inquire. Um, you know, we'll have a conversation. A player like this, would he fit? Why would he fit? Um, and he kind of takes in information like anything else, and he goes and gets his work done. And then once we get the player, it's up to me to establish that relationship and get to know the player and, and use him correctly. So uh, very little. I get that question a lot, even with the draft. And I literally, literally have nothing to do with the draft. Those guys spend every single day, 18 hours a day, working on a draft and the last thing you want to hear is a coach to roll in a, a, the week of and see a clip on a kid. I literally just there for the, the draft, um, meet the kids early on and just start to establish that relationship. All right. Well, folks, this has been Derek Lalone, head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Derek, thank you so much for, for joining the show. You have a big season, a few big weeks ahead of you. So best of luck. Uh, and it, to say thank you for joining the show, uh, we are making a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation in your honor. So thanks again yeah. and best of luck this season. I appreciate you having me. And one of the reasons I was excited to come on is what the work you've done with the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, it's very impressive. It says a lot for you guys uh, as a podcasting group. Uh, I mean, Ken is such a big part of our organization. I mean, still... He's a walking legend. People, people get excited to see him on the road. And what you guys do, I, I've watched from afar. I've been impressed with. So, you know, that's exactly one of the reasons why I wanted to be on this. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Derek. Take care. And that was our interview with the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Derek Lalone. Again, thank you to Derek and to the PR crew over with the Red Wings. Just a phenomenal uh, thing to be able to interview him. Exciting for the show. That's our first active NHL head coach that we've interviewed and it was the Red Wings, which is appropriate. That seems fitting. Yeah. Yeah. Very on brand. The, yeah. <laughs> the flurry of the last few weeks have kind of made my brain scrambled. So yeah, let's not take away from the fact like, cool. <laughs> okay. As much as I would like to sit here and talk about how cool it was to, to talk to Derek on and off air, Brad, you and him had your whole Bills conversation. Really wish I could have talked to him after the Raiders game instead of the Jets game. But yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Let's jump into the fact that not officially, but Red Wings hockey has officially happened again in 2023. The prospect tournament is over. We've seen the Red Wings future take the ice, or at least most of them. The tournament didn't really go well by way of the the game results, but that's not really the point of the prospect tournament. So. Quickly for the listeners, let's go over what the Prospect Tournament is and some takeaways for the Red Wings. Well, Prospect Tournament is exactly what it sounds like. It's a small tournament where all the prospects for, in this particular tournament, Detroit, Dallas, Columbus, and Toronto get together and play games against each other. 
as a way for each of these organizations to gauge where their prospects are at, get them ready for training camp and, you know, create a once in a lifetime opportunity for some of the uh, free agency invites who might never, ever get to attend an NHL training camp. So a uh, really cool weekend all around and uh, lots of fun for obviously the people in Traverse City to be able to go out and watch it. And yeah, it's, it's not a tournament to take a lot of definitive opinions away from, but it does help contextualize some things yeah and give you progress updates on some of these guys but uh yeah that's mainly the gist of it and of course for the red wings that is what everyone is focusing on like we can talk about the storyline of can this team push for the playoffs this season and that will be a big one how much are they going to stack up against ottawa or buffalo or anyone trying to make the same jump from the bottom to the middle or top of the division etc etc but the real storyline that's going to dictate how the next decade it's going to go is how these young players do. So all in all, what were the takeaways from the prospect tournament? All right. So we'll start with the positives because there were many of them. We'll get to the negatives later, but the big one probably being, and most importantly being Nate Danielson had a really good couple of games. Uh, he didn't play in the third game because of injury, doesn't sound like it's anything too serious, although I don't think I've seen a definitive update on that to this point. But he had five assists in two games, and we've talked at length about the most important trait in a hockey player being hockey IQ, being able to see the ice, being able to make decisions quickly, and that was on display for him this weekend. He had a really, really good tournament establishing that when he has teammates who can actually score a goal, he can create offense. And I don't think he was the best Red Wings prospect there per se. He was in the conversation for that, but he might be the most important Red Wings prospect, period. So him having a good tournament was critical, and that happened. Elmer Soderblom, you would think, would have a very good tournament because of his physical stature and the fact he's already played NHL games, and he did. Yeah. He uh, showed looks that his game might be evolving a little bit. He was using his reach a little more effectively and, you know, generally showing well, despite the counting stats not being, you know, crazy for that tournament. Marco Casper was good. I would have liked to have seen him stand out a bit more, but this is kind of, you know, prototypical of Marco Casper. The skill is good, but it doesn't pull you out of your seat. You didn't see many warts in his games. I know in Max's article, uh, he got some quotes about puck management could have been a little better, which is fair and true. That's something you coach out of young kids for the most part, though, especially, uh, you know, when they're 18, 19, 20 years old. So I'm not going to be super concerned about that. You know, we understand Casper has limited upside. He's not going to ever be a first line center. You know, if he's an above average second line center, that's probably even breaking through the ceiling we expect of him. That to me, that's really high upside. I exactly. So I think we got what we expected from Casper in this tournament without, you know, breaking the mold of who he is. Cross Hannis had a good tournament. Again, this isn't his first rodeo in the prospect tournament. So it's expected that, you know, if you've done it before, you should be. Good. And he was. So it's that's still a huge positive. I think he tied for the tournament leading goals or was pretty close to it. Which, again, huge positive. And then there's everybody else. 
you know, a couple of the free agent free agent invites did okay. Riley Sawchuk made a bit of an impression, but again, he's still a million to one chance to be anything if he even ever signs with Detroit. Woolinder wasn't super noticeable to me. You know who was noticeable? Sebastian Cosa. Oh boy. Not in any good ways. And I know I led this off by saying don't take too much from the prospect tournament, and we shouldn't. And I'm by no means writing off Kosa. And you listening, you by no means should be writing off Kosa. But this whole shtick of, you know, we come up with reasons for why he was bad any given game seems to be a recurring theme. Like, oh yeah, he had a lot of bad turnovers in front of him and it led to good chances. You're not wrong. Yeah, a couple of the goals that he let in were absolute goals. Not many goalies would stop them. You're right. Oh, the team was playing horrific defense in front of him and he was getting peppered. You're right. But when you trade up to 15th overall for, you know, a six foot five, six foot six goalie who's expected to be the future of your franchise, we, we expect him to steal games and to stop pucks that he shouldn't necessarily stop. And I know when Costa was picked, the narrative was he's raw, super athletic. There's going to be growing pains and oh boy, have there been, which is to be expected. But outside of his run on that stacked Toledo team, which took him a while to even settle into that groove, what have been the signs of optimism since he's been drafted? It seems like we have this, okay, yeah, this was bad, but okay, that wasn't a great game, but okay, he's having a rough stretch, but I'm getting kind of tired of it. And again, I'm not writing him off because all the things that were said are still true. He's freakishly athletic. He's a project. All those things are still true. But. Yeah, I think the concern is fair. I do want to push back a little bit. I think the Toledo team, yes, was extremely strong and stacked in the ECHL. And there's a reason they made the run that they did. But. He also was show he he did show good form and it you saw him ramp up to that. Yeah, and you can only stop the pucks that are shot at you, and right. he was doing that. That is very similar to his time in the WHL. It was on an extremely stacked team, and his numbers were strong there as well. But he played well. I do think it's fair for you to say what you're saying now. You always know I'm the first to push back on you when I think you're being too negative, and and vice versa. But yeah, with Kosa, it, it's you want to see these steps being taken sooner, and that can coexist with the idea of the steps can still happen but there hasn't been a lot of promise so far that's really tough they spent a lot of draft capital on Kosa they took him over Wallstedt Wyatt Johnson was taken in the with the pick that they used to trade up like it is the narrative around it fair or not the context is really tough to swallow and see such a zigzag path that said listen back to what we said you know 10 minutes ago or however long it was the prospect tournament is not something to draw conclusions from. So Brad's right. Don't write Kosa off. But in a vacuum, what we're looking at here and seeing how he does take some more time to ramp up, it seems so far at the pro level, he did at the ECHL level, it is a cause for concern. I, I have no problem with anyone saying that they're worried about how this pick is going to turn out because he's not really done anything to dissuade that completely. Now, this could hold true for you know, Casper or anyone else who didn't absolutely kick the door down, he could have a fantastic camp and then have a great year in Grand Rapids. Then all of this will be a moot point. It'll, it'll be a one-episode narrative. But it is 
not the best thing to see a goalie shelled for that many goals. Not all of them that were worth going in. 13 goals on 50-something shots. Like, that's that's crazy bad. That's not, like, if these were games that mattered, coaches are breaking chalkboards, flipping tables, like, with a performance like that. Going through phones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. But, and for me, it's not even so much that Koza had such a terrible performance at this tournament, because, again, who cares in the grand scheme of things? But it's he had a good tournament here last year, but it's a culmination of, he was expected to play in Grand Rapids last year. He didn't keep up to it, had to go down to Toledo. Took him a while, but eventually settled in at Toledo. Last World Juniors, you know, people were writing his name in pen to be the starter for Canada at the World Juniors in September. Lost that job. It's just the goalie that has promise but is raw still steals games routinely. They're the goalies that'll go... Great game, good game, meltdown. Great game, good game, meltdown. Not necessarily in that cadence, but that's what you expect for the most part. The work is still yet to be done, and it's not impossible that he does it. Of course, this is still one of Detroit's most important picks, but yet what he's built in front of him is going to be a tall mountain to climb. That's what it has been from the start, of course, but he's not, like I mentioned before, he's not really done anything to push the narrative aside. And that's a big, like, that's a big swing that the Red Wings took with that draft pick. And let's not forget he was a late birthday in his draft. So he's already, via that, a year behind where most players are drafted. Just because he was almost 19 when they picked him, whereas most players are almost 18. Don't light the signal fires, you know, don't cross them out of your book or anything like that. But wasn't the most promising thing to see from Kosa. Going back to the other players you talked about, I think it's really good to see Soderblom do what he did, especially considering our conversation, I think, last episode of we need to see Soderblom do what he did, which is nice because this is a guy who, by all rights, should be in the NHL. And with some more injury luck last season and maybe some better cardio, probably would have been in the NHL for much longer last season. So that that fell into place as it should. For the likes of Casper, for example, you know, he wasn't bad. He was good, but, you know, not dominant. And he's one of the guys where you're you're looking at him and you're saying, is he going to kick the door down at training camp? Is he going to cause a problem? And I don't think his performance here took that opportunity away. There is a lot to be said about just getting the rust out of your system and doing this tune-up, and he could still come in and have a phenomenal camp and change that narrative. So it's standard fare from the, for the most part for most of these other guys. I think the Nate Danielson thing was really cool. I think seeing him already show well when you know he's going to be going back to the WHL is awesome to see that has to be super promising for Red Wings fans you know talking about picks where you use a lot of draft capital yeah Coase is one side of the story but Danielson that's the other side of the, the spectrum for this tournament so all in all I think there's it's a it's a mixed bag from this tournament the positives are good the negatives are worrying it's a, a long-term project for Detroit though what I will say though is Grand Rapids will have a lot of really great players to pick from. There'll be projects still like, you know, let's say Casper ends up there and Lombardi ends up there and, and what have you. They're still going to have to tune up their game to play at the pro level. It's not like Lombardi is going to go in and automatically be a hundred point player in the, the AHL. He's going to have to adjust. We saw some of that, but Grand Rapids by all rights, even if a player or two surprises in Detroit, will have a lot to pick from. Carter Mazer, unfortunately with the leg injury, 
you know, training camp is looking unlikely. Steve Eisenman confirmed today that he at the very least isn't going to be ready for the start of training camp, which is on Thursday, September 21st. Not the news you want to see. And especially we had Carter Mazur as one of the guys who could maybe make some noise and surprise in training camp. That that one sucks. Still waiting for that day the Red Wings get any damn luck at any point in this rebuild. Yeah, honestly. And Simon Edvinson is close to being cleared for full contact, which is good news. As you heard Derek Luone say, I don't think he you know, necessarily fully tipped his hand, but it didn't really feel like they were expecting Simon Edvinson to make the roster out of camp just because of the timing of the, the shoulder surgery and recovery and anything. So who knows? It, it still could happen. By no means did Lalone rule it out. But yeah, I think Simon Edvinson's, it's good that he's going to be cleared soon, but he's going to probably, I would, I would guess at this point, go the AHL route. Training camp. What is to come? What are the narratives here? What are we looking at from the Red Wings? Training camp is going to be happening from Thursday through Monday, so we'll have an update for you on Sunday, and then we'll recap it in a week or so. But for now, what are we thinking about going into Red Wings training camp as, you know, Hockey Town hits the ice once again? Honestly, not much. Uh, the Red Wings have so much depth right now. This isn't going to be the training camp that we're used to, where we're like, Who's going to fill this hole? Who's going to plug that hole? Who's going to do this role? Who's going to do that? They have the guys. They're all there. There's no huge concerns. It's just get this, get a lot of new guys, get the systems established, get some, everybody make sure they're in game shape. You hope that a prospect kicks the door down with this particular group. I don't think that's going to happen, but you're, you're hoping for that unexpected push from somebody. Yeah. For the most part, I'm I'm just fascinated to see how Lalone's going to utilize some of these guys. That's pretty much it. Like, I want to see where he's deploying to bring it. You know, what type of s- setup are they using on the power play with him there? You know, what what seems to be the plan for Comfer and you know, just little things like that that still in training camp don't mean a lot, but it at least gives us a window into kind of what they're thinking. Yeah. Questions I have and what I'll be paying attention to isn't just for this, you know, four-day window or whatever training camp is. It's more for the first, like, 30 days after they hit the ice. Andrew Kopp. We talked a lot last year about the fact that he, you know, got off to a slow start because he had his core surgery, was rusty. And I think we saw that just in how he showed up on the ice in the second half of the season compared to the first. Stats, you know, notwithstanding, can he start out quick out, out of the gate? Because I think that's really important for Andrew Cobb for him to change the perception of you know that contract and what he's going to contribute to this team longer term. Comfer as well. You're obviously excited to see what the, that new addition. He comes with a big you know aura of a big contract that was signed in free agency. What are his contributions going to be? All eyes are going to be on Lucas Raymond all year. He needs to have a breakout season this year for Detroit to really take the step that they want to. You hear Eisman, you hear Lalone say that they want to get more depth scoring to improve their offense. And that's well and good, and I believe that. You can add all the realistic depth scoring you want. It's not going to solve Detroit's scoring issue. Their best players need to score more. They needed to add more best players, which is what they got in Alex Dabrinka, but you know, Lucas Raymond, how much more can he contribute and how he starts the season is going to obviously dictate a lot of that. So it's not, you know, training camp, it doesn't mean nothing. Last year, Philip Zadina had a phenomenal training camp, and now he plays for the San Jose Sharks. 
<laughs> so it's not everything, but there are a lot of significant changes for Detroit that happened and these things matter. Also, the it almost feels unfair calling him fringe guys. Like Berggren's not a fringe guy in terms of talent. You know, Christian Fish, Fisher or Clem Costin on many other teams, they wouldn't be fringe guys. But Detroit's going to have to have some roster decisions made. So prospect making it or not, how is the roster going to shake out? Who's going to be the 13th man? Who's going to be scratcher in the press box? That's also going to be interesting to see play out. The The bottom six is really, you're right, Derek Lalone can play this a lot of ways, and it really does depend on, on utilization. Also of note, Michael Rasmussen taken off IR. So how is he going to come back from the crummy kneecap injury? And Michael Rasmussen, who a lot of people will, I think, fairly say, when he went down, the Red Wings lost a lot of their identity. So is he going to be able to be at the same speed he was before he he kind of went down with that injury? Who's like one player, I would say, in the bottom six that you're most interested, or what you know set of players are you most interested in keying in on as the preseason and training camp play out? Well, I mean, there's a lot. You know, the cop-out answer is to say all of them because I think there could be a lot of shuffling and juggling in the bottom six. But if I had to narrow it down to one guy, Clem Costin. Uh, he's he's going to bring a really different element to that bottom six in the sense that he's going to play that, you know, Adam Ernie role where he can throw the body around a little bit, piss the other team off. But unlike every single Red Wing that has been deployed in that role for seven plus years, he's not devoid of offense. Yeah. So if we're looking at adding more depth scoring in the Red Wings' bottom six, he could be that guy to be able to do it without losing the identity they want in that role. I like the Costin pick. I think Daniel Sprong is another good one too. Is is he going to bring that same efficiency from Seattle to Detroit? If it were up to me, he's not playing in the bottom six, but that's another conversation. That's an, yeah, is it going to be like you know middle six and power play utilization? I would wager that's where it ends up. But Joe Valeno, and it's not exactly promising. Not that Joe Valeno's a bad player or should be on the fringes. It's, this is just the situation when you have a lot of NHL-ready players. Joe Valeno usually takes a long time to ramp up and play really well. It happened in Grand Rapids. It happened with the Red Wings. As he gets more runway, he does gradually improve his game and plays more solidly. The numbers haven't always been there, and I think... That's okay in the situations Detroit have has been in over the last few seasons, but now Joe Valeno really needs to pick it up because there's other guys competing for those spots. He does need to do more sooner. He does need to secure that spot right away because the moment you're on the fringes, it's really hard to break in with that much NHL talent on the team. This isn't the Red Wings from five years ago where Joe Valeno with this amount of skill and talent would be a lock for that team. He needs to outcompete these guys that Steve Eisman brought in and prospects were chomping at the bit for his job. So he has the tools. We've talked about Joe Valeno a lot. We talked about it after the contract was signed. He should do it, but it's not a certainty in my mind. No. And the talent is there with Valeno. We've known this all along. You can skate great in transition, but until it all comes together, it's all, it's meaningless for the most part. Again, even as he is now, I think he's a good bottom, like a fourth line center. Yeah. Hopefully he can ramp up from there. And in terms of professional tryouts, not that it's massive news, but Artem Anisimov and Michael Hutchinson 
were brought in for the Red Wings on PTOs. So more or less, as far as PTOs go, they mostly turn into just, you know, we needed guys to be warm bodies. There's rules around how many veterans you have to have there, et cetera, et cetera. But those are uh, who were added. Anisimov is a little bit of an interesting name. It's been, what, two years since he played in the NHL? I think so, yeah. Sick. Yep. <laughs> okay. And before we get to the Babcock conversation, which I'm sure is going to be a blast, some positive stuff. The PWHL had their inaugural draft. Some highlights from that. Yeah, it was an awesome event. We uh, had it on at work, not just because one of our fr- a couple of our friends were getting drafted, but because, as Brian Burke put it, arguably the most important day in the history of women's hockey. And I think he's got a really strong point on that one because... You know, again, we're not going to get into the all the mistakes that were made, in my opinion, to get to this point. But we're at this point now, and it's huge, and it's awesome for women's hockey that there's one league. Teams are formed. Hopefully, we get some jerseys and logos and <laughs> yeah. team names soon because yeah. I thought that would have been done before. You know, players actually uh, were with the team. But no, it was awesome. It was, you know, with every draft, fascinating because this is such a unique situation. You're creating a league from scratch. You're having a draft from scratch. You know, the strategies teams were taking, not that dissimilar to the NHL. There was a big run on defensemen early. You could tell once a couple went, teams started panicking. It's interesting to see the different identities teams were playing. You know, Montreal and Toronto maybe reached for a bit more of the, you know, grit and sandpaper type players, whereas mm-hmm. Boston loaded up on offense. So they're probably going to be the most fun team to watch. Toronto didn't even draft a second goalie. So, like, we've got our starter. We will get a body in the second for agency period. A lot of big names didn't even get drafted. Michaela Grant-Mentis didn't get drafted. And, you know, a few others of note. Watching the ages of the players that was getting drafted was fascinating. You know, uh, Minnesota first overall picking Taylor Heisey, the 23-year-old coming right out of college. Whereas, and then at second overall, Toronto takes 35-year-old Jocelyn LaRock. Yeah. So it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I think a couple teams obviously had better drafts than others. Won't know until we get them all on the ice. Unfortunately, a good friend of mine, uh, unfortunately, uh, great for her, got drafted to Boston. So now I have to cheer for a Boston-based sports team, which kills me a little inside. But, you know, good for her. We're happy. I I know that's where she wanted to go, so she was thrilled. But yeah, it was was a really, really great day for women's hockey from a big picture standpoint and then it was really fascinating from what a unique hockey circumstance this was to just watch how these teams were built and where the priorities lied yeah if this sticks which we're all hoping it does this is going to go down as one of the most momentous days in the history of women's hockey as you mentioned i just i can't wait until it sticks and until it expands because i am just so disinterested in rooting for non-Detroit sports teams. So congrats to our friend on going to Boston, but I'm going to hold out for the Red Wings to get their team. Yeah, this will be one or of those Detroit things. to get their team. When Detroit gets a team, obviously that's going to be my yeah. primary rooting interest from a team standpoint. Yeah. But at least having a couple friends in the league and one really good friend in the league, it, it at least gives me some rooting interest for this season because again, it's the original six. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to get invested in it. You know, it's way more fun when you have a horse in the race. So, uh, hey, at least at least I got an excuse to to pull for one team. Well, as much as I'd like to talk about something fun for the rest of the show, 
Mike Babcock, no longer head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, undefeated, I'll tell you, as head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Didn't even make it to training camp. He was undefeated. Dude was winless. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Never lost in the shootout either. Mike Babcock, the whole saga rolled out. You'll have heard it by now, but just for the sake of this conversation, it came out through Spit and Chicklets in their podcast, and Paul Bissonnette put it out there that Mike Mike Babcock was up to Mike Babcock things again. Red Wings fans are going to know, you know, the legend, not really good around Mike Babcock and the history and the reputation he has, the trauma that was inflicted on the likes of Johan Franzen, the fact that so many players openly disliked him. By the end of his Red Wings tenure, team players wouldn't come to Detroit in free agency because of Babcock, et cetera, et cetera. Mike Babcock was apparently going through players' phones and airplaying their camera rolls onto a TV screen and similar things. It was all kind of vague at this point. The accusation went out there on Spitting Chicklets. Obviously, they're the biggest hockey podcast in the world, and thus that carries quite a bit of weight. Biz works for TNT as well. It's a pretty big thing to put out. The stir after was predictable, and we're not going to get into the frenzy of you know the story about the story and who's who likes who and who thought who was right carrying water for who. All that matters is immediately after the NHL and the NHLPA did an initial investigation, Boone Jenner and Johnny Goudreau put out statements as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets saying that Babcock had asked them to share photos with their families. I think Goudreau went on 32 Thoughts and said as much. And they had no problem with what happened. And it was just like a get-to-know-each-other thing. And people thought initially that this was just, you know, a microscope on Mike Babcock, a deserved one, but a microscope on Mike Babcock turning what was a kind of unusual interaction into something much bigger than what people thought it was. And then the investigations kept going. And the NHLPA really got involved. And you, NHLPA had Marty Walsh, who has history as a union leader, was interviewing players. And then the story, obviously, Spin Chicklets was really backing what they said. They they doubled down, they tripled down. They said, nope, players are telling us this. This is way more than what's being led on. And it came out that younger players on the Columbus Blue Jackets, like new players, players who are part of their core, were really uncomfortable with what happened. And it wasn't just, show me some pictures of your family. It was, give me your phone. And I'm going to take it for several minutes. And I am your head coach and you're brand new to this team. And not at a team facility. At his house, for example, where a player was supposedly invited for lunch. And then they had to give him their phone. And he went through it. And then he sent them away without feeding them. Like, the interaction didn't even happen. It's just weird Mike Babcock shit that he's been doing his whole life. And it all snowballed. I'm skipping a lot of steps here, but it all snowballed. Very obviously, this guy had crossed the line yet again. Had not learned a single thing from the reason why he was out of the league in the first place. Hasn't changed. Is still the same. Just for the sake of the kids listening, I'm not going to say everything I want to say, but just a jerk. That's putting it way too simply and way too plainly, but just a jerk. Columbus had to ask for his resignation or force him out. Don't take the, the he resigned thing as his way out. Like, no, he is out as head coach. That was a firing. The last little while was essentially negotiating his exit because he think he had two years at $4 million per year on his contract with the Blue Jackets, the NHLPA, very fairly. And good for Marty Walsh for standing up for his players saying, no, they, like this can't stand. What a mess. 
and there's a whole section of this that happened after with Kekalina and Davidson coming out and, and their press availabilities and, you know, our head's going to roll, apparently not yet, but ownership's not happy, but what a disaster from start to finish. And I know it's easy to say, I told you so, but every Red Wings fan watching this unfold is going, yeah, well, you can't be that surprised. I don't think that's just Red Wings fans. I think when... The no, news, no, it's many more. I think the news, uh, when the news broke that Columbus was hiring him, that was the most united I've ever seen in the entire hockey world. When they all went, are you dumb? And it turns out this entire situation and everybody involved in it from the Columbus standpoint is dumber than we could have possibly imagined. The level of stupidity step by step here is almost unfathomable. That That's what's surprising. You know, Mike Babcock has been called a lot of things in his life, but generally stupid was never one of them. Oh, he's an idiot. He, he how do you not realize the situation you're in? There was zero room for error and everybody knew that. Totally. Columbus knew that when they were hiring him, but apparently not to the extent they thought. Babcock had to have known he was walking on thin ice. We know Babcock never at any point admitted to any wrongdoing and seemed even a little bit remorseful about any of the crappy things he did in the past. But I thought he'd at least be smart enough to, you know, fake it. No, because he thinks he's he, he thinks he's beyond reproach. He thinks he can't. He's, he thinks he did nothing wrong to Johan Franz. The level of ego and ignorance here, like I said, yeah. is almost unfathomable. Yeah. And here we are. I, I can't believe we're sitting here after everything has transpired because this was so preventable. What I will say is I'm really, really, really impressed with what the NHLPA did here. Like yeah. Marty Walsh and the way he handled, handled this. Like, yeah, Mike Babcock could have done less and still been fired because he again justifiably had the microscope on him because of his past but this was a, just so far over the line and I think there were previous versions of the NHL where this would have skated past like this would have just flown by and people would have looked the other way and said yeah well that's that's how it is he's a really great coach and he has unconventional methods blah 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 but Marty Walsh said nope these are employees you have to treat them with respect these are basic rules and if you can't do that with the context of the past that you have, with this being your second chance at the league, you know, plus, 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 no, nope. done and done. It is a big move to hi- to fire Babcock moments after he was hired before training camp even. Like that is not an easy demand for the NHLPA to make, but Marty Walsh put it forward and was correct. And obviously the NHL and the Columbus Blue Jackets agreed with him. There is no other way about this than to Fire him because you cannot do this anymore. I am happy to see that the NHL is in a place now where this crap goes away. We want as few Johan Franz in situations as possible. Like those need to start to go away. Even if you look at, you know, what he did in Toronto, like those kinds of stories, that does, that's not what makes champions. That's not what makes Stanley Cup winners. That's not what hardens players. It's just, it's all about, you're right, Brad. It's all about ego power and it's about Mike Babcock. Something I'll add here is, you know, hockey is a very insular, protective community. If you're in in hockey, you can do a lot and still have a lot of people who will lay down on the tracks for you. And I mean a lot. Think of some of the most terrible sins that, you know, 
players or coaches or GMs or whoever have committed and they stayed in the game for a long time after that, sometimes with no consequences. The amount of times that we have heard from folks in the league, players, GMs, other coaches, teams, agents, whoever, they had absolutely nothing good to say about Mike Babcock. This isn't a new thing. Many people have said this, but I we can sit here and tell you it is verifiably true. There are miles and miles and miles of people who are lined up to take a, a shot at Mike Babcock with if you give them the opportunity. And that's not a coincidence. That's not, that's not the kind of league this is. So think about what that says about what Mike Babcock is as a person in the league, as a coach, when you have such a large amount of people who absolutely despise you when the the standard operating procedure for this league is to just protect their own. Like that is not nothing. The sad part is, you know, Mike Babcock is sitting at home right now because of who he is as a person going, I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. Yeah. Well, and now he's going to do that from home forever. I think that's it for his career. There's no way he can In the NHL. Yeah. I mean, if Bill Peters can get a job in Lethbridge in the WHL, yeah. I mean, we're not ruling anything out now, but yeah, no, Mike Babcock is unemployable in the NHL at this point, and any team that even considers it is out of their minds. Get ready to learn some Russian, buddy. That I honestly might be the next step. Uh, not that yeah, he needs yeah. the money. They keep giving him free money. Jeez. The anyway. amount of money he's made over the last few years to not coach hockey is staggering. Yeah. I'm I'm happy. Okay, you know, remove the Red Wings context from this. If you look at Columbus and their young core, this is a team that needs that young core. That's their future right there. And they have some outstanding players coming up and through. They dodged a massive bullet, a massive bullet. I'm happy for that young core that they don't have to, you know, suffer through his Mike Babcockness. What I will say, and we were talking before we hit record here, Brad, I don't love calling for people's jobs. I don't think it's a cool thing to do if you have any kind of a platform if you don't have cause, I am surprised that heads haven't rolled in terms of Yarmo Kekalainen or John Davidson in Columbus. Like this wasn't a mystery as who Mike Babcock was before they hired him. They had to come out and justify why they were doing it. They took the risk. This is hires on them. And he failed in the most catastrophic way you possibly could have. I get that ownership didn't want to disrupt things further. That That's well and good. And not, I'm not saying Kekalainen is a bad GM and he has to go and it's an abomination that he isn't, but I'm shocked because the buck has to stop somewhere. They stuck their necks out for that hire. It looked stupid at the time. It turned out stupid right away. I'm I'm pretty surprised that, that there wasn't bigger fallout from this. It might be coming. It could be coming down the line, but at the very least that he's he's on a razor's edge for his job. Well, the statement that he uh, put out today sure as hell didn't help his case. No. Like, how many people in hockey are just that out of touch, like oblivious to what's going on around them? Maybe maybe everyone else was right. We did our due diligence. Like, you have to understand how bad that all sounds. We did our due diligence and you were that wrong? What goes into your due diligence? Do you see? Did you see his comment about, yeah, it's, uh, players like, feel uncomfortable coming to me sometimes. And it's like, man, you're the boss. That's the last thing that you should A, ever be guilty of, and B, if it's true, you don't say it. I 
That one's tough for me because I think as a GM, like that's a weird relationship. GMs negotiate against their players. Like you need to, but if that's the case, then you need to have a coach that players can go to or some kind of a system where this, well, you don't have to go to Paul Biasnet to report this. Well, that's the thing. If you have problems with anybody on the coaching staff, you can't go to the coaching staff. So who's the next step? It's the general manager. And he openly said, yeah, I don't think players would be comfortable coming to me. Holy hell, man. Like, how bad at your job are you? And, and it's not like he's this sterling GM who's winning Columbus Cups every couple of years. They've won one playoff round under him. He is very expendable. Like, I don't know. Again, this entire situation, the almost unfathomable levels of stupidity continues to shock me. It's the NHL, man. I'll, I, will, I will go back to what the silver lining is for me, though. I'm impressed with how the PA pushed this, and I'm impressed with the fact that the NHL was on board enough to get this result because it was wild. Like, it is absolutely wild to for him to be fired before he even coaches a game. I hope this causes a little bit of a frame shift. I'm not the kind of person, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, and I mean it truly to my core. Anyone who knows me knows I believe in this. I am firmly a believer in second chances and not just torching someone's life forever because they did something wrong. There needs to be, you know, there needs to be some kind of a consequence to whatever the action was. There needs to be a demonstrated learning and growth from it. It's not automatic. Not everyone gets the kind of second chance where they make millions of dollars, but I I digress. I hope though that this pushes the NHL away from just bringing in guys who have this reputation who have not demonstrated, you know, the fact that they have learned or grown from it, or they they look at anything other than, oh, we just want a good coach or a good player, whatever. There is an avenue back for most anything, except for the worst of sins that someone does in this league. But, you know, you look back to Babcock's interviews and then people asked him about Franz and it was just the worst non-answer and, Essentially, the best you got was, I'm sorry he felt that way. Anything else, like, it is not a surprise to anyone who's been following Babcock that this was the result. So I I hope the league, this kind of massive moment, this nexus where they fired him before he even started, that wakes some people up. And it's on the NHL to to encourage their teams, like, grab them by the shoulders and shake them and say, stop doing dumb shit like this. And I'm glad that the NHLPA is there to protect his players. All right. Some happier news. Let's get into some quick show updates before overtime. So we mentioned Evan is away in Italy. He'll be gone for the next couple of weeks as he takes care of doing his you know dream Italian wedding. Catherine still has some time, I think, to to back out of that. But no, they're going to have a beautiful wedding there. So we're excited to have him back. You think our invitations are going to come anytime soon? Yeah, they must be in the mail, right? Yeah, like we're gonna, kind of inconsiderate to make us book these flights last minute, but it's fine. <laughs> We, Fine. The recording setup from the air is going to be interesting, but I believe that we can do it. Yeah. yeah what is it? Spirit Airlines. I trust them to give us a good uh, recording experience. Thank you, Spirit, who are not sponsoring this episode. <laughs> not anymore. So Evan will be away, but he'll be back in time, obviously, for the start of the season. Brad and I are going to kick off the start of the podcast season, which means next episode is going to be on Sunday. And then after that, we're going to be on our usual in season to a week cadence. So, you know, Sunday, Thursday or Sunday, Wednesday, and sometimes Sunday, Thursday, but the Winged Wheel podcast is back to two a week. 
not just that, we have some more exciting interviews coming up. And like I mentioned, some more big announcements coming up. We are working as hard as we can behind the scenes to make that all happen. And I also just want to say thank you to folks. I know this was a quieter summer. You know, Brad bought a house. I got married. Evan's getting married probably right now as we speak. Uh, that's going to we, – we really took advantage of the offseason and the downtime. And I think we needed it too. It's been just such a gauntlet since really COVID on the show and things picked up. And it's been a good gauntlet, but the break was nice. But uh, we're excited to be back now and really gear up for some things that we've been working on in the background. So without further ado, let's jump into Overtime. Overtime is a segment where we take questions and comments from our listeners at the end of the show. And the vast majority of them come from our Patreon supporters. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. In addition to all the benefits, the Discord, the giveaways, the bonus episodes, the overtimes, etc., you allow us to do things like run Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, expand our content universe to include Expected by Whom, who had an amazing interview with Sam Ventura recently and have a lot of really exciting stuff to come up. So be sure to give them a listen and give, give them a follow as well, hosted by Sean Shapiro and Prashanth Iyer our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation and lots more. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the show and go the extra mile. Let's take some questions here. Arch says, were there any surprise prospects that impressed you guys during the tournament? So guys not named Casper, Danielson, Silverblum, Mazer, Lombardi, or Willinder. You mentioned Cross, Hannes, Brad, and I think that's, that's one that's going to stick out for people. I don't want to say he's been under the radar, but he's been quietly solid after being a little up and down immediately after being drafted. And he's a guy who you could see make some noise lineup wise, potentially. I mean, he did have a really strong season in the AHL last year before it got cut short due to injury. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that he had a good prospect tournament. And with the skill set he has, if he's able to continue to improve on that, that could be a significant boost to obviously the Red Wings skill set. Down the road, though, I don't foresee that as a this training camp thing. Yeah, no, no. Un- highly unlikely. Give Walman the Heart says, first of all, congrats, Ryan. Thank you so much. Says, we know for someone like Casper to make the team, he would have to slot decently high in the lineup. Otherwise, you'd rather he just get more minutes in the AHL. But what about Soderblom? Does he just need to be a top 13 or 14 forward in the organization to make the team? That's a good question. I would lean Yes. I think they wouldn't have a problem playing Soderblom in bottom six minutes, and I wouldn't have a problem seeing him there either. I think it depends what the team envisions they want him to be. His skill set would dictate that he would benefit from playing primarily offensive roles, but his physical traits say that he can do just about any role on the ice they want him to. So... I think for where he would be maximized, it'd be better to be in Grand Rapids playing some meaningful offense uh, in some meaningful offensive situations, but that's not necessarily his only path forward. So I don't think I have the answer for that because there's just no way of knowing what they want him to be. Kara says, in honor of my birthday this weekend, happy early birthday, I'd like all three of you, it'll have to be two, to please share what about JT Confer you're most excited for the season? And Brad, don't be an asshole and let me be happy. P.S. Congrats, Ryan and Mel. Thank you so much. I like JT Confer. I just think he's paid a little too much. What am I most excited about JT Confer? Honestly, the flexibility. Yeah. The, the, with him and Cop both being very similar in that 
good 200-foot games, can play any position on the ice, can play any role on the ice, it really does open up the, you know, quote-unquote playbook for Lalone to do basically whatever the hell he wants and, you know, Comfer won't be a detriment to whatever role he gets put in. He'll be a plus player in that role. So not there's not one thing I'm particularly looking forward to with him. It's the, you know... He, he should be able to let everybody else flourish around him because he can do what needs to be done. Patrick Baldwin says, should we be worried about the fact that we don't have any prospects that blatantly stand out the way that other teams we played in the tournament do? Yes. That's Absolutely. Yes. It's the, it's this rebuild single biggest problem. It's been the story the entire time. And that's, yeah. that's what a lack of lottery luck will do. Detroit's best prospects have already graduated. Yep. Raymond Insider are in. Maybe if Edvinson was healthy that he would have stood out, but other than that, there's no Fantilli, there's no you know, high end top two pick that's sitting there waiting in the wings. Like you're gonna need guys to overperform. Uh, a thousand percent. Yeah. The that's why the Debrinket thing was so important. Even though he's probably just like a 35-35 guy, not like a superstar level player. Just getting players of that caliber has been extremely difficult for the Red Wings, and it doesn't look like there's a whole hell of a lot coming through the system. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm I might almost go so far as to say the only significant problem they have at the moment, but it is a massive problem. And similarly, from highly illegal Hartford fishing operation, they say post prospect tournament melancholy feels. Anyone else think we? just weren't bad enough for long enough to get lucky enough to get top talent enough to make it over the hump to contention. And we're looking at another 10 years before we have a chance at a cup. So the early part, yeah, that, that ties into what Brad just outlined. Another 10 years though is, you know, at a cup, you can't put a timeline on a Stanley cup. I think anyone's insane to do that. I don't think the Red Wings are marching towards a dead end though. I think the, the summary of all of this is just, it's so much harder to do it when you don't have, the premier players. The optimistic outlook here. The Red Wings don't have any excellent prospects. They have a lot of really good prospects, but this organization needs excellent players. Well, when you have tons of really good prospects, you can package them to acquire an excellent player. Yeah. A la the Debrinket trade. I think that's the ultimate path forward. You graduated Danielson, you graduated Casper, you know, the the of the direct positions of need. And you look at this stable of other really good prospects and you go, okay, who of these guys is expendable and what can we get for them? And, you know, again, just to use this team as an example, I know they're not trading him, but we've used him as an example a million times. So why not? The Red Wings lack a first line scorer. If they wanted to go get one like a Kyle Connor, hey, Winnipeg, here's a Simon Edmondson and a first round pick and who the hell ever. Are you interested? And they go, that sounds great. We're starting a rebuild. I'm not saying that's the exact scenario, but something along those lines is going to have to happen one or two more times. And then all of a sudden the entire outlook of this team changes. The Angry Ginger says, how many games into the season for Grand Rapids would it take to hit the panic button on Kosa if it's not going well? I, I would say, first of all, don't get that mentality. Like, don't 
don't be married to that idea before anything happens. Like there's a lot of hockey to be played before the AHL even drops the puck. But what I will say is if we're looking at past the third to halfway mark and there's noticeable struggling, if it's average, that's fine. But if there's a lot of struggling, the second half is going to have to be like Toledo second half good to not overall be panicked. Like I mentioned earlier, goalies are long-term projects. COSA was a project from the start. We all know the context behind this, but that doesn't preclude you from being able to reasonably say, hey, I am expecting more right now uh, from COSA. So let's see where we're at around Christmas time, I'd say. Okay. As you can probably tell, my voice post-wedding is suffering. I'm sure my body was resilient when I needed it to be and is giving up now. So we're going to wrap this up. We are going to, I have a lot of editing to do. I'm excited for you guys to, well, by now have heard the Derek Lalone interview. We'd like to thank all of you for tuning in and for making it through this offseason with us. Starting next episode, we are fully back at it. To all of our listeners, new and old, thank you for tuning in. To anyone who is going the extra mile to support us on Patreon, it means the world to us. If you want to support but not on Patreon, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it makes a big difference, and subscribe and tell a friend. To all of our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Squinty Face, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheeseback Navy, Brad Owes Me a Beanie, Brian J. Bauer, Buck the Suck Eyes, Carl Brutanananaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassal Malkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciates About You, Brian Vasha, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Axel Sandy, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Clapping Bombs and Respecting Moms, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Maxim- Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Nora Sider, Ophelia, Steven, the Hota, the Hodag, the Hat One Two Three, Wingnut in San Diego, Wings Fan in Alaska, X, formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you so much. I'm gonna find some tea at honey. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.